If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up with me to the second chapter of Ephesians. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And incidentally, I'm not Dr. Scott uh, Davis, in case some of you were wondering about that. Uh, Scott and Marcy had an opportunity to go uh, on a free marriage enrichment retreat weekend conference in Charleston. And so we encouraged them to go ahead and take that opportunity. And so... So they, uh, they're there together, and so we just encourage that. And, and, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll be here together this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in uh, those who are disobedient. All of us uh, also lived among them at one time, uh, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were uh, by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at this for just a few minutes. Father, we thank you that you've brought us to this particular point in time in our lives when we can uh, come together and worship you. And and Father, when uh, we meet together, we know that you're here. And we pray and thank you, Father, for... uh, for loving us and providing us an opportunity to be able to come together in this place and uh, worship you together. And so, Father, we uh, we just pray that that the words of our mouth would be acceptable unto you. And, uh, Father, that whatever we say would bring honor and glory to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as in his precious name we pray, amen. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, along with his son, uh, went all over the world in search of, uh, of terrific works of art that he could collect. Both he and his son shared a passion for collecting, uh, collecting art, and together they traveled all over, adding only the finest art treasures that, uh, that uh, money could buy into their collection. Works of art from, from painters like uh, Van Gogh. And Monet and uh, and other uh, famous uh, artists like Picasso and many many others uh, down through the years adorned the walls of their family mansion that uh, that they lived in. This widowed father looked out on with great satisfaction that his only child grew up to become an experienced art collector. But the story goes on to say that soon war engulfed the nation. And so the young son had to go off and join the the army to uh, find 
him uh, embroiled in battles for his country. But only after a few weeks there in the military, in uh, the battles that he, uh, he found himself in, the father received a telegram one day that said that his only son had been killed uh, while he was carrying a fellow soldier who had been wounded on his back to receive aid at a medic aid station. And on Christmas morning of that year, a knock came on the door of the family mansion. And so the father went and opened up the door, and there standing in front of him was a young soldier carrying a package. And the young soldier introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son's. In fact, I was the one who he was carrying to receive medical treatment uh, when he was shot by a sniper's bullet, and I was with him when he died. May I come in? I have something I want to show you. And so immediately the man welcomed him into his home, and he came in and had a package, and he said to the man, I'm a struggling artist. And I would like to give you this. And so the old man began to unwrap the package. And as he unwrapped it, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Now, although art critics of this world would never uh, say that this portrait of his son was anything uh, that warranted being placed in a museum anywhere. But it was... uh, a painting that, that seemed to capture the features of his son. And it also seemed to capture his personality in striking detail. The following year, the story goes on to tell us that the old man came down with some terrific, horrible illness and he passed away. As you can imagine, the art world was eagerly anticipating what, would go, what was going to be done with the art Uh, that had been collected down through the years uh, by the old man and his son. Well, according to the will of the father, all of the art in the home was to be auctioned off. Well, the day soon arrived when art collectors from all over the world uh, came to, uh, uh, to bid on this terrific group of paintings. Some of the most spectacular that, uh, that anywhere in the world could be found. But you see, the auction began with a painting that was not on any museum list. It was a painting of the man's son. And so the auctioneer asked for an opening bid. He said, who will open the bid for this painting of the son? Can I get a hundred dollar bid? And after what seemed like an eternity of silence, someone from the back of the room callously called out and said, Who cares about this painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget about it and get on with the important matter. There were other voices who seemed to echo in agreement. But the auctioneer replied, No, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Finally, after a moment of silence, uh, someone in the back of the room spoke up and said, I I knew this boy when he was growing up. I'll bid $100 for this painting. 
And so the auctioneer said, I have a bid for $100. Will anybody go higher? And after a long silence, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. Cheers filled the room. And someone was heard to say, now we can get on with it. But the auctioneer looked at the crowd and said, the auction is over. And someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of an old man's son. What about all these paintings? There there are millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of paintings here. We demand an explanation about what's going on. We demand that you explain to us. And the auctioneer said, it's very simple. Wait for it. Here it comes. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son takes it all. Folks, I don't know about you, but I think that story sums up for me the, the essence of Christmas. Whoever takes the Son takes it all. I think that's the essence of the story of Christmas in just one line. The Bible puts it like this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The one who has the Son has it all. But just what do we mean by the word all? In that statement. Well, I think there are several things that we mean. And I'd suggest to you that the first thing is that Advent promises new life in Christ because we now know what God is like. See, the coming of Christ gave us a living picture of who God is. Christ coming into the world literally put a face on God for us. The Bible says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. See, that's what we mean when we talk about the incarnation. God coming to earth wrapped up in a human body. See, the God of heaven came to live among us so that we might know what He is truly like. He came to teach us. He came to die for us so that we might be forgiven. And He rose from the dead to help us to know that we too one day will be raised. And He ascended to the Father to intercede on our behalf. And he promised that he would return so that that promise, that hope, would burn eternal in our hearts. Jesus came to this earth in order to open the doors of heaven for us. Can you imagine with me just for a moment what uh, this world would have been like had Jesus not come? What it would be like if God and the person of Jesus Christ had never come to this earth? Well, I think, first of all, we would never have the high expression of music from people like Bach and Beethoven that we have. If Jesus had not come, we would not have Handel's Messiah. 
Harvard and Yale University, if you can believe this, would not exist because they were started as Christian institutions of higher learning. The founders of Harvard and Yale and other schools believed that to study science was to study the work of God and understand how he made the world. It was a way of learning more about what God is like. Many hospitals in the world would not exist because they were started by people who had their hearts filled with compassion for those who, uh, who were ill due to the fact that uh, they had had some personal experience with Jesus Christ being transformed by his love. If Christ had not come, we wouldn't have a YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. We would have only half of a Bible. We would not have heard of the love of a personal God. God would never have visited the world. We would have no hope of his returning to earth. There'd be no Christmas. There'd be no gifts, symbolic of the greatest gift of all that, that God had given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. There'd be no Christmas carols. There'd be no hymns. The world without Jesus would always be winter and never Christmas. If Jesus had not chosen to come to this earth, Mary Magdalene would have died in her sins. Matthew, the tax collector, would still have been a traitor to his countrymen. The Roman soldiers would still have continued in his cruelty. Peter, James, and John would have done nothing more with their lives than fish for a living. The Apostle Paul would have always gone on to be a cruel Pharisee steeped in legalism with an unrelenting Demand for perfection from other people. If Jesus had not come, the people who needed healing during the time that he was there, they would have still been broken in body. They still would have been broken in spirit. The lame would still have been lame. The blind would still have remained in darkness. The deaf would have still remained in silence. If Jesus had not come, we would never have heard the words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Oh, we'd never heard these words. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Or these words, I have come that they might have life. And might have it to the full. See folks, this is why we sing about Emmanuel at Christmas time. God is with us. He was with us 2,000 years ago. And he's with us right here, right now. In the present time. To show us exactly what God is like. See, because we have, we have a God who cares enough about you and me. To send Jesus to this earth. We have a God who cared enough to come. I don't think there's any other religion in the world who could make that kind of claim. 
He showed us what he was like. And his name was love. No other religion in the world could make that. Jesus was a friend of sinners and failures. He came to this earth and showed love and compassion to the outcast of the world. The scriptures tell us that he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught us not to use the values of this world to determine our worth. For he said in the scriptures, the first will be last and the last will be first. He taught us that our value to God was more important than what anybody else could ever think of us. Anybody in here ever caught the show on television, The Antique Road Show? Yeah, I know that many of us have seen that. Perhaps that's not one of our favorite programs to watch, but some of you perhaps have caught excerpts of it or seen it as you were flipping around uh, uh, the channels. Uh, Oftentimes you see people who come on the Antique Road Show and bring an object that they bought in a garage sale or a yard sale or or found in, in some old building that they had uh, bought property and there was an old building on it that they rummaged around through. And they come to the Antique Road Show to, to seek uh, from some of the appraisers, some of the experts, just what the value of this object might be. And then comes the look of surprise on their face when they discovered the object is worth sometimes thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. When I see that, when I see that happen, I think about how God goes about taking people who don't seem to be very valuable by this world's standards and place a high value on them because that's the kind of God He is. You see, how do we know that's the kind of God He is? Well, we know it because we see it in the life of Jesus. Over and over again. The outcast of society seemed to be the specialty of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sinful, the sick, the poor, and the weak. He went about all over that area, uh, pulling out of the trash, out of the dumpsters, if you will, people that he would transform into a treasure. See, if Jesus had not come, we would, have, we would not have known that about him. And because Christ showed what God is like, we want to be like him. We've been transformed by his grace. We've been renewed by his love. We're able to extend grace to others because it has first been given to us. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. We give because He first gave to each of us. We live because He has given us eternal life. Because Jesus came, we now know what God is like. Living love. Well, my second point this morning is this. Advent promises new life because it means that our sins can be forgiven. I want you to think with me just for a moment. Think about the worst thing that you'd ever done in life. Uh, I'm, t- I'm talking about that thing that would make your brain burn with shame. 
And then think about what it would be like if Jesus had not come and you could not have been forgiven for your sins. What would that be like? Well, I think your guilt could never be relieved. Uh, Condemnation would always be hanging over your head. But since Jesus came, forgiveness has come to to those of us who received the grace that Christ came to, to, uh, to offer. See, we know the freedom that forgiveness can bring. We can forgive ourselves and others because we've experienced the the liberating forgiveness that Jesus Christ came to to give us. But if uh, Jesus had never come, we would only have commandments to follow. And we'd never hear the great words of the New Testament For God so loved the world. If Jesus hadn't come, we'd be missing a Savior. There'd be no talk about forgiveness. There could be no talk about reconciliation to God. Only laws that had to be obeyed. See, if Jesus had not come, uh, grace would not be a word found in our vocabulary. We can only talk about justice and people getting exactly what they deserved to get rather than finding mercy with God. If Jesus had never come, the woman who was caught in adultery would never have heard the words, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The Bible says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And folks, that's what we are. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are God's children. We are the children of God because we've been forgiven as an act of grace. Jesus Christ made possible by his atoning death there upon the cross. It's as simple and as difficult as humbling ourselves, and asking for forgiveness. And when we do that, it will bring about a transformation in our lives. The Bible says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Christ came to this earth not only to cleanse our hearts, But he came also to change our hearts. We're being transformed in his character more and more with each passing day. We're being transformed because we are with him. And we are becoming more and more like him as each day passes. His Holy Spirit is working in us to produce his image. And all of this is for one grand purpose, which leads, I think, to the third and final point I want to share with you this morning. Advent promises a new life in Christ because it means that we have the hope of heaven. See, Jesus' coming to this earth made heaven possible for all of us. As the hymn says, Christ has opened paradise. Hallelujah. Think about what the world would feel like if there was no hope of heaven. What would you say at a funeral of a friend or a loved one? 
if uh, Jesus had not come. Well, there'd be no hope beyond the grave. You cannot talk about heaven or any reason to discuss eternal life with God. Only the reality of this dissolving into the night. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Jesus Christ had not come, there would be no book of Revelation. No hope of ever hearing the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. There would not be any hope of a resurrection. Not even the idea or the concept of one. There'd be no talk about eternal life. Nothing to anticipate except the closing of the casting lid and the coldness of the grave. But because Jesus did come, see all that's changed. Now we can live in joyful anticipation of what is yet to come. In his book called Dare to Believe, Dan Bauman illustrates what it's like to know that something is yours even though you have to wait for it. You may have it in hand, but you're not able to enjoy it out of the box. He says when he was young, he did probably what most of us did. Many of you would do. He says that uh, at Christmas time, he would uh, do a lot of snooping around trying to uh, find the packages that his mom had wrapped up and maybe hidden from him. And try to find the one that had his name on it and perhaps try to figure out what the gift was going to be that he was to receive. One year he discovered a large package, he said, with his name on it that he knew without question or doubt it was a set of golf clubs. One shake of that big box revealed the unmistakable sound of golf clubs rattling back and forth to each other. And he said, when mom wasn't around, I would go and feel the package, shake it, and pretend that I was on the golf course. The point is, I was already enjoying the pleasure of a future event, namely the unwrapping. It had my name on it. I knew what it was. The book says that it was his, but he would not be handled, handed over to him until Christmas morning. See, then would he be able to see with his eyes what he had only previously been able to be seen with his heart. Folks, Christmas means that Christ has given us the gift of heaven. At this point, it's still wrapped up. But the package has our name on it. We know what awaits us. It's ours. It belongs to us. We'd never have received the gift were it not for Christmas. But we longingly wait for the day when we'll be able to enjoy the gift of heaven and all of its unwrapped wonder. As the Bible says... But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The day will one day come when we will, too, be able to hear these words. Now the dwelling of God is with men. 
and he will live with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Because Jesus came, we now know what God is like. We experience forgiveness from our sins and the transformation of our hearts and minds. We've received the promise of heaven and the promise of eternal life. I don't know about you, but I think that's probably to me the greatest gift that we could ever have. What better gifts could we ask for than that? So my question to you this morning is this. Do you have the hope of heaven today? If you don't, then you can settle that issue today, right here, right now. And so my prayer for you today is this. That uh, if you don't know this Lord Jesus Christ that we've been talking about today, that you will let go of your life and let God have control of it. Because I know the Bible says that He can do far more with your life than you ever can. So I want you to pray with me just for a minute. And then we'll have our time of response. Father, we thank You that by Jesus coming to this earth, we can one day experience the unwrapped gift of heaven. Father, we thank you for, uh, for giving to us all that we have. Especially, we thank you for giving us the gift that we have of salvation. Thank you for this Christmas season, for this Advent season. Thank you, Father, for, for allowing us a preview of, of what's yet to come. And so, Father, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would be in this place, that you would have complete control over the hearts and minds and lives of these, your people. And perhaps there's somebody here today who's torn with the decision to come and unite with the fellowship of this church. Father, I pray that today, if the Holy Spirit leads, that they will follow. And maybe there's somebody here today who doesn't know this Jesus that we've been talking about. This one, his, his birthday we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will work in their life. Father, have your will and your way be made known to all of us today. And we'll give you thanks and praise for what's going to take place. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our time of commitment.